Coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, home of Super Bowl 57, it's the Gary Stein and Stevens Show with your host, Troy Gary. Dave Stevens having just too much fun on Radio Row. Super Bowl 57 at my home in the Valley of the Sun here downtown in Phoenix, Arizona at the Convention Center. And I am so excited. We got a treat. We've been sitting here for a half hour just uh, shooting the breeze with a legend in my mind. And my son's going to be so mad that I've got a former Boston Red Sox with me, former Diamondback, uh, a couple other teams out there. Shea Hillenbrand joining us from Radio Row. Yeah. He's a baseball player, and it's okay to talk some baseball because we got too much football going on around here. But uh, two-time All-Star, played with the Red Sox, a couple of seasons with the Diamondbacks back home where he went to, I think it was Mesa High School you went to? Mountain View Mountain High View. School. Mountain View, yes. My ex-girlfriend went there. Hi, Michelle. So yeah. Do they know each other? Or... I don't know. Wait a second. But the problem is my PR guy told me this was uh, the All-Star break for baseball, so I, I think I'm at the wrong event. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. I don't know anything about football. So we're just going to talk baseball. He was with the Giants, the Angels, the Dodgers. I mean, you had a good career even moving around so much. I mean, what do you what do you say that longevity? I mean, you had a long career, over 1,000 hits, 100 home runs, and, and you got to play in some amazing ballparks. So how did you have that longevity when other guys would just come and go? It's one of those things where it comes down to putting the work in and not giving up. And so many days with myself and so many other players where you wake up, you want to give up because it's so hard. There's so much like baseball is all built around failure. Like everything's against you. I had to pivot. I was drafted by uh, the Red Sox as a shortstop. First uh, 10 games in pro ball, I made 14 errors. And if you don't know baseball, that sucks. Yeah. The, the manager came up to me and said, hey, do you want to play third? Do you want to play first? Yeah, get me out of here. So I played third and first, and I was player of the year because I was able to hit. And then after that, they said, do you want to learn how to catch? So I went to Australia to learn how to catch. I'm on the fast track to the big leagues in double A. And then from there, I tore my ACL on my right knee, done, halfway through the season. Took me off the 40-man roster. I had a choice to sit there and complain about it or take what I had and do everything I could to put myself back on track to go to the top because my vision as a kid was to go out there and become a major league baseball player. So I go to spring training in 01 as a catcher and I make it all the way through spring training. I'm coming from double A and I thought I was going to triple A to be the starting catcher. And the manager calls me to the office the very last game of spring training. And he says, congratulations, you made this team. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, is Ashton Kutcher here? Am I getting pumped? <laughs> like, what? How did I make it? I put my head down and I didn't allow anything to distract my focus. I created my own lane and I just worked and I observed everybody around me. I observed the guys that were doing good. I observed the guys that weren't doing good. And I just implemented that into my program. And I wasn't able to, I wasn't afraid to fail, put myself out there because I just have that. I don't know if you guys follow Tim Grover, but I have that cleaner mindset like Kobe Bryant and Michael Dwayne Wade. Like I just go and go and go. I've swung a baseball bat nearly 2 million times. But the problem is, in the prime of my career, I was so empty because I sold my soul to the game that I had become numb to everyone and everybody around me. And here I am as I, I, I apexed at the top of the mountain of Major League Baseball. Man, I got private, private jets, multiple cars, mansions, um, 300 pairs of shoes, anything and everything I wanted, but I was empty. I was numb to everything and everybody around me, and that's why I'm out here this weekend trying to share my message and my story because I vanished. I quit. I walked away. I left $50 million of earnings on the table because I hated my life. I'm flying to the all-star game in 2005 from here in a private jet. I look out the window. I'm like, is this all life has to offer? Like, this is it. 
And so many athletes out there, it's hard for us to articulate it and have a voice because we have to focus with the seller soul of the game because we're doing something that so many people don't have the opportunity to do so. So I pursued my second childhood dream of owning a zoo. So I purchased a horse farm in Gilbert, Arizona. That shit. <laughs> I accumulated 300 farming exotic animals. I had camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas, monkeys, raccoons. And I, like, everybody, like, like, they told me to bring my ponies into the clubhouse, man. <laughs> and I said, no, dude. So I had a vision in my head to pursue my second childhood dream of helping inner city kids, disabled kids, and child crisis children in my community with my animals. And I transformed so many lives. The, the, the feeling I got was priceless. But I was still in. So it lead us to eight years ago, I found myself in the floor of a van parked outside my ex-wife's house. I had overdosed on drugs and alcohol. I had nothing left in my life. I was down to my last breath. And as I'm laying on the floor of this van, there's so many envy, the person that so many people envy, the thoughts going through my mind, it's a soul thing on the top of my head. And I'm thinking on my last breath because my identity, because the stories that I told myself that I, I can't be anything if I'm not a major league baseball player. The thoughts going through my mind are, you're a failure, you're a loser, you've lost everything, you're a hypocrite. What, what would your parents think you left this world today, Shay? What kind of dad would do this to his kids? My answer to that was, like so many athletes here, is, you know, I'm nothing if I have baseball. So I just let go. I don't know if I died and fell asleep, but by the grace of God, the next day I woke up, came to, concoction of pills and alcohol I consumed the night before. I should have had two options, brother. I should have either been dead or in a hospital because I was trying to numb and run and flee from that pain. That pain that so many of us go through, some of the fans, some of the listeners go through out there right now is that pain. We all have wounds and pain not transformed is transmitted. So I had to, I had to take back control of my life. I had to create momentum in my life. And then God provided certain people, strategic people in my life to provide me direction, accountability, and help me to be, create the Shea Hill and Brand you see today with a smile and fulfillment of purpose and trying to use my voice to help other people find theirs and say there's hope. It is so eerie to hear that story because, and I don't talk about this much, obviously, because, you know, we sometimes our past is not our future. We just kind of let it go. And, you know, I had lost both of my parents and I, uh, you know, turned to cocaine for about a year. And, and again, you know, being an athlete without legs who everybody put on this pedestal that was so special, I was coked out of my brain one day in a jacuzzi. And I looked up much like you and I thought if my you know, dead parents could see me, my coaches could see me, everybody that believed in me. And I decided that day and then that I was going to turn my life around and get back much like you uh, on the right track. Thanks to God and what we believe to be God and the people that, you know, turn to him in those crisis times. And, you know, I've been clean and sober since January of, of 87. And I'm, but Amen. I see the mistakes. I see, you know, I saw the minor leaguers. I was in New Britain. So I saw the twins, the pups, you know, the big poppies, you know, David Ortiz and those guys buying their weed from the clubhouse attendant and no wait, 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 wait. don't be saying any secrets what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse bro. So, especially the Barry Bond story yeah it was unbelievable to see you know and, and I'm so glad like they've legalized marijuana for the recovery and everything like that but to just see that different side of baseball is these young kids with no guidance and Zero. you know let's go out to the bars let's party and you're going to have that lifestyle for 8 to 10 years and then when that career is over what happens when the music is gone and the fans are gone? And, and for you, that low point is, you know, to be able to turn that around and to do what you're doing is, is just, I haven't, I don't talk about it that much. And I'm really moved by your story. It's so powerful. But, uh, okay, enough of the, the downers part. Let's talk about the positive Go back stuff. Up. Yeah, huh. I'm going to get all choked up here. Uh, you take it away, Troy, while I uh, wipe my tears away. Uh, yeah, the biggest part, you know, of playing baseball is mentality. You know, when you're in a slump, 
you know, trying to get out of it. We do mindfulness coaching. Kind of talk about that. Yeah, that's a great concept. And how many people have asked me that question? I do podcasts all the time. I speak from stages all over the world. I share my story and all that stuff. But what happens is when you get into a slump, like baseball is like life, right? Like you fail seven out of 10 times. I'm, I'm having success 303 times out of 10. Like in 04, I hit 310 for the D-backs. I had 580 plate appearances. If you do the math, 310 and 580 is I failed 400 times out of 580. And they pay me so much money. It's stupid. I didn't know what to do with it. So it's a matter of keeping those promises to yourself. When you get into that slump, I don't believe there's any superstitions in life. There's no superstitions in baseball. What you're trying to do is keep your mind focused on one specific thing. I call it a specific focus instead of a generalized focus. Because when you have a generalized focus with all these thoughts going through your mind, that's when it causes confusion in your mind. And the byproduct of that is low self-confidence. So when I'm stepping to the plate and I'm struggling, I need to keep the promises to myself to gain my self-confidence back. I have my swing inside myself. I already have it there. I, I already know how to hit. But what happens is our mind gets detracted from that and the pressure. Uh, am I going to have my job tomorrow? Uh, the guy behind me, I got to perform. Am I going to play? Like so many stupid things that we deal with as celebrity or professional athletes that a lot of people don't understand. But it all comes back to what's relatable to the audience is you must keep the promises to yourself. I did a coaching call with one of my clients yesterday, and he's struggling in his life. He's a successful uh, business guy. And I said, dude, you have to keep the promise to yourself. What does that mean? So if I say I'm going to wake up at 7 o'clock, I'm going to wake up at 7 o'clock. I'm going to put a technique in place to get myself up. Then I'm going to have a strategic process to go to. I'm going to go use the bathroom. Then I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to get water. I'm going to do breathing exercises. I'm going to start moving. You have to do things to get going to have that specific focus because the uncluttered mind is systematic. So when you have that, you push yourself past that negative thinking, past those limited beliefs. I call it people stuck inside their internal zoo. And you go out there and you just got to keep the promise to yourself. You got to take delight. And the discipline it takes to put the work in and don't focus on the results. So many of us want instant gratification right now. So many of us want uh, the shiny objects right now. And like I was a two-time all-star third baseman in the major leagues. I have zero clue how to feel the ground ball. I can't tell you how many times I had a routine ground ball hit to me. And if you bobble a ball in the big leagues, you suck because it's like, <laughs> like pristine. And I get a routine ground ball, but I go through my process, read the ground ball for speed, location, and hop, set up for the ground ball, get my feet moving towards the target, which is step three, and pick up my target and throw. If I did that process over and over 10,000 times, I can't not have consistent success. So I throw a ball to first base in front of the fans, and I'd be like, yeah, I got another one there. But you don't notice that. I'm playing in all-star games, and I'm like, how the F am I here? It's the process. It's diligently putting in the work and executing. So many of us get the ideas of the fantasies of what we want to achieve. And it's like, oh, I want to make the building go work, go work. I get up in the middle of the night and throw the medicine ball against the wall at the high school. Then I was in the minor leagues. I'm like, I have to work now because I'm not the most talented. And if I do that, that will give me the edge on my competition. Cop pulls up. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm working out. It's 2 a.m. You can't be here. You thought I was breaking into school. I'm looking at the cop like he's crazy. Like this is what it takes to go to the cop. And the cops looking at me like I'm crazy. So he kicked me out of the school. What did I do? I had a decision to make. Do I want to quit or do I got to keep finishing my workout? I went behind 7-Eleven and I'm throwing the medicine ball against the wall with the bums. And they're looking at me like they saw a freaking alien. But that's what it takes. It's not no very little talent. It's mindset. It's putting the work and getting that belief in yourself. 
So, Sorry, man. I don't want to that's all right. No, man, we, we don't get to pick the brain of guys that hit 300 in the major leagues. I mean, that's nothing. You're a two-time all-star. Heck, a one-time all-star is, you know, unbelievable. But for you, I want to know what what causes a slump? Like, how do, you, how do you suddenly have to have a hitting coach work with you differently and change things when it's kind of your whole entire process of hitting, but, but the slumps do happen? I know it is partial mental, but then – you know, the coaches are trying to fix it. And, you know, I'm just wondering how how did you deal with those slumps and what causes those slumps? What causes those slumps is very bad. This is this amazing. I'm glad I came here um, to share this. What causes slumps is, is what's translatable to life with everybody out there. Broken focus is the number one reason for failure. Broken focus is the number one reason for failure with anybody out there, but especially with baseball. Okay, if I'm not focused, then what happens is, I'm not going to be on time. I have to understand my swing, and I have to get there consistently. What separates the big poppies, the Barry Bonds, the Manny Ramirez, the, the Mike Trouts, the, 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 the Miguel Cabreras, uh, uh, all these guys that are super superstars and $400 million contracts, they get there consistently. Their timing is consistent. The idea of a pitcher in the big leagues is to throw your timing off. You have one pitch in that bat to do anything with in the big leagues. So I have to be able to focus, and if I'm not focused – relaxed, my body has to relax to be able to react to the pitch, then I'm going to get myself thrown off. I have to focus on swinging at strikes and being on time. But doing that day in and day out, every single night, five at-bats in front of 40,000 fans in a major league stadium facing major league pitchers is nearly impossible. So it pretty much drives you insane. So that's what it did to me. It's like I just It ultimately drove me nuts, and I had a lot of pain inside myself, and I attached that pain to the game. And ultimately, like, I hate what I'm doing right now. But what about when a coach comes up to you and, and tells you things that he thinks is good for you and you know it's not, and you're, and you're a, a rabble rouser or whatever else, he's not listening to the coaches, he's not doing that. I mean, because it's your body, you kind of know yourself sometimes, but you are an employee too, so how does that work? So what happens is uh, my first thought process was to tell him to go to hell. Uh, <laughs> Because we always say it's it's uh, it's my numbers on the back of the bubblegum card. It's my numbers on the back of the baseball card. So what happens is I'm responsible for that. A coach is just a resource, especially a hitting coach. Your number one resource you're going to have inside of a, a major league clubhouse is the video guy. There's always a video guy in there videoing every at-bat, every pitch. And what he'll do is he'll go over the videos and analyze and say, Shay, you were doing this here, and this is what you're doing now. But one of the things that, and I'm surprised I did it because I'm like, no one taught me. I taught myself. I wouldn't listen to anybody. I really didn't fit in the clubhouse. That's why I ended up where I was. But I was always open. I was always allowing people to talk to me. And I wasn't like, screw you, forget that. But if you're open to it, and if you're open to the ideas, and if you're responsible to retain that information, like the cognitive thinking aspect of it, okay, you're going to tell me something that you think it is. I'm going to listen to you, and I'm telling you nine times out of ten, it wasn't that. But your idea of what you presented to me would stimulate thought inside myself, and I'd figure it out myself. And that's what happens at that level, at the major level. So it's not like at the lower levels where you got to rely. Like at that level, like I'm going to a Manny Ramirez. Or I'm going to a Barry Bonds and say, dude, like this guy's making $30 million right now. That dude knows how to hit. And I go to them and say, hey, dude, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? What do you think about this? You have to be a student of the game. Regardless of where you are, what you're doing, whatever you're trying to achieve, you must be a student of the game and never, never, never stop learning whatever you're trying to do. Right now, 
I'm in the speaking space. I have energy. I have passion. I have a, a GoPro set up right here. I'm videoing this. I'm analyzing it. I'm going back and seeing what I could do. I'm asking people like yourself, what do you think I could do here? What do you think I could do there? What do you think with your experience? And when you do that, you start elevating yourself above where you think you can go. That is just great advice. That is just awesome. And speaking of awesome things, i got to talk about our sponsors, First Rule Bread, who have given us an opportunity, give you an opportunity to have some of the best-looking T-shirts and clothing and jackets and things that they have. It's a Super Bowl exclusive. Go to firstcleanteam.com backslash show. Type in the show code TOUCHDOWN, 25% off. We've been giving these shirts out lots of night. People love them. I've been wearing them. All the ladies online have been saying, hey, Dave, we're getting a black shirt today. So thank you for keeping us out there watching that again. FreshCleanTeams.com backslash GSS show for your Super Bowl exclusive. Come on, Troy. Super Bowl exclusive. Oh, yeah, touchdown. There you go. There we go. <laughs> Troy's a sweet man. Yeah. That's going on over here. Wake yeah. up! There we go, Troy. That's the mic. I can't. I know. Yeah, <laughs> Troy, take over the second segment. So... Yeah, you like. I want to ask you about uh, you know you've been around with the Red Sox, the Diamondbacks, Toronto. Uh, what's your favorite ballpark and your favorite city to play in? Good question. Favorite ballpark was Fenway Park, uh, Red Sox Nation. The funniest thing is, I was drafted out of junior college my sophomore year. I was the number one player in Arizona at the junior college level. I was drafted by a shortstop in the tenth round by the Red Sox. At twenty years old, I told all my friends I was drafted by the White Sox. Like, like that. Like, what are you talking about, dude? What's wrong with you, dude? Like Red Sox Nation, man. Six states, New England, like Red Sox Yankees rivalry. Like like 1918, last time they won the World Series. The kids, like fever pitch, the movie. Like, wait, 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 dude. I grew up a diehard Dodger fan in LA in the 1980s, man. You show up in the third and leave in the seventh to be traffic and you listen to Vince Scully on the radio. Yeah. You're watching Steve Darby. I'm going to the big leagues, bro. So but but Boston was in my blood. I wanted to play my whole career there. Uh, apparently, I took actions that weren't conducive to the environment of the team. So they said, no, you're not really good to play for us anymore, so we're going to trade you. Actually, I was really tradable because I was came up last year. And then coming back home uh, here in Arizona, that was fun. But Arizona is like a transient state. you got a lot of fans from different states that relocate here, that whatever. So that was cool. Surprisingly, growing up in L.A., um, San Francisco, it's like, oh, the Giants, oh, the, uh, like, you just like, uh, you know, like, I enjoy playing. I enjoyed playing every place that I played. The different cities was really cool. I always liked playing out west. But my favorite team to play for, by far, was the one that paid me the most. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So how did you end up in Arizona as a kid? 14 years old, I'm sitting on my bed, and my dad walks into my room. I just finished ninth grade, which is junior high in California, going into my sophomore year of high school. And these are formative years of my life, and I found my identity through sports, soccer, and baseball, and my community of friends. I struggled with my internal game, my identity of who I was as a kid, and I was able to find my out through sports because I was always one of the better kids and athletes. My dad walks into my room and drops a bombshell on me right before my sophomore year of high school. He says, son, we're moving out of state. I was like, what? So what happened was the story I told myself when my dad left the room that day was I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough, and my dad doesn't love me. Because how can he take me from my community of friends? Mind you, I'm 14, and if you don't have anybody help you understand how to navigate these experiences, how you interpret and communicate that experience, it's going to form a story in your head. And that story in your head is what ultimately broke you, broke me, because I never thought I was good enough. 
always thought if I just reached this, I would be good enough for my father's eyes. If I just accomplish this here, people will think I'm worthy because I never thought I was worthy enough as myself as a person because I thought I was the biggest piece of garbage in the world. Here I am hitting a game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera at Fenway Park, the first Red Sox player to do it ever. I'm rounding first base. The ground is shaking all because of what I did. My teammates went out that night and this party with arguably the best fans in baseball in town. Everything, I went straight home. I didn't let myself celebrate. I didn't let myself relish in that moment, a defining moment in my career that people still talk about 10 years, 13 years later because that pain. I was like, I got to do this. If I don't perform tomorrow, I'm not going to be good enough. And if I'm not good enough, I'm not going to have a job. If I don't have a job, I'm not going to have an identity. If I don't have an identity, then I might as well just put a pistol in my mouth and blow it, do myself in because I'm nothing if I don't have baseball, like I tell you in the story. So moving from California to Arizona was very difficult for me. I became the number one soccer player in Arizona. I had chances to play at universities overseas. I was way better at soccer, but my childhood dream was at LA baseball fans. I'm going to play Major League Baseball. And I actually walked on at the junior college after high school. I had no options to go anywhere. The only reason I made the team, my work ethic. And I can't stress that enough to people out there. You have to execute. You have to create that discipline. So what's crazy is I peel back the layers of my, uh, my onion. I cut my parents out of my whole career. like, And I have to live with that. My entourage is at the All-Star Game. I have my homeboys, everybody there. And my parents are up at the third deck in Detroit, Comiskey. Now, that's, that's Chicago. I don't even know what the city we play in. Comerica, yeah. Like, I don't even like baseball. <laughs> my dad and mom are sitting at the top deck, humiliating themselves, telling the fans around them, the security guards, the usher, that's my boy down there playing. And they look at them like, well, if, if that's your boy playing third base, why are you guys up here? I don't know, but I love him. And I'm on that field in front of millions of people. In the Midsummer Classic, looking up, I freaking hate that guy. I hate that because the story I told myself. So as I peeled back the layers of my onion when I left Major League Baseball, when I got off the floor of that van, what I realized is that my dad moved us to Arizona to give me a chance to play Major League Baseball. I would have been lost in the sea of baseball players in Southern California. They did that. I was talking to my mom, like, why didn't you tell me? Because the story I told myself led me to the spot to drive this wedge inside a relationship, and I had to live with that. But by the, by, gratefully, I was able to reconnect with my father afterwards, and a couple years later, he passed away, and he's on the floor of our my, my mom and dad's living room because he donated his body to science. And when they're taking his body away, I leaned over and kissed my dad in the head, forehead, and I said, Dad, I'm going to use my voice to impact you and show the world that you created a person that's that's worthy enough to go out there and share his message. And that's what I'm doing. That's it. It's full transparency and trying to make that impact and give people hope and understand that you have greatness inside yourself. I've done it. I've experienced it. And I'm going to have so much more success now than I ever did playing as a baseball because I have the intent in the right spot and I'm sharing with my heart. And that's until my last breath is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to speak to people and just try to inspire people to understand you get out of your own way wow this is i have enjoyed this man more than i think than any other of the guests that we've had it's been amazing to pick your brand shay and to you know know you and follow you and uh just have you be a part of this uh so what what is your daily life like now we i know we talked about uh what you're doing at shay hillenbrand.co they can uh, go there website and everything like that but for for you, what's a what's a typical day? Are you do you still get in the cages? Do you still hit? Do you still work out? I mean, 
Is that too ever go away from you? Yeah, I, I can care less if I ever pick up a baseball bat again. The only reason why I would ever pick up a baseball again is a baseball bat again is to be able to inspire and show the youth of what's possible and give them the tips and tricks that I've learned uh, through my program, which is called the MLB Mindset. A lot of people think MLB is Major League Baseball, but for me, MLB mindset is momentum, language, and beliefs. It's understanding how to master the internal game and create that self-confidence and allow baseball to teach you the failure, navigation, and be able to go out there and continue on and create that discipline every single day. So um, I do work out. I have to work out twice a day. I have a lot of energy, as you can see. And if I don't, and if I don't keep busy, I find myself getting in trouble uh, and, and destructing things in my life and not going in the direction I want to go. So um, I'm speaking. I'm following. I'm just traveling around the world and, and, and just sharing my message. If you had it to do, and we don't get to do this, but if, if you did have it to do over again, I know you wanted to be a, a Red Sox for a while. Uh, is there, I mean, would you would you have acted any differently or changed your personality, or are you happy with the way you were when you were a player? Yeah, very good question. You, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know any different, and I couldn't trust anybody around me. And that's what happens with a lot of professional athletes, especially celebrity athletes. It's hard for us to trust other people because we think in our mind that other people are always wanting something from us. But inherently, what I've experienced myself is I couldn't trust other people because I couldn't trust myself. I couldn't trust if I got back in the corner because I didn't have a good character. I was always taught that if you just hit, you go to the big leagues. And in my mind, if I go to the big leagues, all my problems will be taken care of. What I would do differently now, I wouldn't even tell my 19 or 20 or 21-year-old self anything because I wouldn't listen. So the Shayla right now, I wouldn't waste my time with that kid because he wouldn't listen. So I, I'm focused on trying to be able to make an impact for many people as possible. But I'm telling you what right now, the Shea Hillenbrand, when I played Major League Baseball, I would have wrote the Shea Hillenbrand now a million-dollar check and say, dude, you're coming with me, and I need you to teach me the way. I need you to help me figure out how to get out of my own way because I was supposed to be a $100 million player. I knew I could hit 330 to 100 RBIs every year, and that's Hall of Fame numbers. I knew I could do that, but I didn't reach that. I reached one-fifth of my potential because of story, because of internal game. So that's what I would do. Amazing. Just amazing to hear that. I mean, you've been so – intimate with us and just giving you that i mean uh, i can't wait to see what you guys are going to do and then the future with, with with your speaking and your coaching and the, the mindset that you're giving everybody so thank you for sitting with us today i know it's a football thing predictions do you care you got any interest yeah the packers and uh the patriots tom brady with the patriots he's gonna <laughs> i'm just joking man let me tell you a story real quick that came to my mind when you asked that my rookie season with the red sox check this out this is a football story. Holy cow. My rookie season with the Red Sox was Tom Brady's rookie season with the Pats. Tom Brady was playing behind uh, Drew Bledsoe, so he didn't have his time to shine yet. So what happened was they did a poll in the offseason. Who's the hottest player between Tom Brady and Shea Hillenbrand? Guess who won? I beat Tom Brady with the hottest. The girls liked me in Boston. But let me tell you what. The only reason why I beat Tom Brady in that poll is because the Red Sox were more popular than the past. He married a supermodel, man. He's got it going Yeah, but now he's posing the pictures in his underwear. We never thought we'd see him. Why not? I want to see Barry Bonds in his underwear. <laughs> we can't tell that story.
All right, Shea Hill and Brand joining Who cares us about the UFC? That was fun. Uh, just enjoying the day. Thank you so much again. Go to SheaHillandBrand.co. Look and check out what he's done, and then Google him. Check out the crap he did for the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers and the Angels and the Red Sox and the Minnesota team, Toronto. Blue Jays. You're going yeah. to see me get in fights with managers, stuff I said about the GM, stuff like that. I'm on Instagram as well, Shea underscore Hillenbrand. Uh, uh, with the Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and all that stuff. It's all Shea Hillenbrand. All right. Well, thank Love you, you brother. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of us. Uh, Troy and I have fun. Will grabbing guests left and right. And continue to support us and follow us. And again, don't forget, hey, I got something coming up this weekend, and it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful, and we hope you uh, can get out there and Camelback High School for the uh, Pro Stands, Dave Stevens, Luis and Dejas Ability Camp, February 11th at Camelback High School. We're going to try to get as many kids out there and change their lives and show them that, uh, hey, we can do what we can do with what little we got. So thank you, Pro Stands, and, of course, Jambar, one of our sponsors for the week. You know, that is a great, great bar. So this is Dave Stevens on Radio Row Rap. I'll give you my phone.